Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Asthma is sadly common in our world, but researchers are working hard to try and improve quality of life. And that includes improving the quality of life of those with asthma and looking for new ways to help treat it, plus developing new drugs that use different methods to the current inhalers. So we find out some interesting work to help regenerate the stem cells in our nose and help people regain their sense of smell. Generally, the weather in Melbourne, whilst incredibly varied during the day, is pretty nice and interesting. Our air quality is normally quite good. Now, we recently had a day where the severe pollution warning was issued, but we're still, you know, a significant fraction of what was in other heavy smog-laden cities like 1960s London, Los Angeles, Shanghai, and so on. But even in Melbourne, we have had from time to time some catastrophic events where, because of rain and storms, really heavy rain, and then a big storm front sweeping across the city, we've had things uh, called thunderstorm asthma, which can affect places across the world, such as Melbourne in Australia, as well as London and a number of other cities, where this ryegrass gets absorbed with a lot of water. This water actually breaks down the pollen in it and makes it even tinier, and that tiny pollen can cause havoc when swept up by high winds. And we saw nine people die in 2016 in Melbourne from this wave across the city. And ever since then, we've been a lot more careful with how we monitor and alert people about potential dangerous asthma events. But asthma is a, is a very serious issue. And there's a lot of different things we do to help prevent asthma. We have a lot of asthma prevention medication, which boosts the actual lungs and helps breathe, keep breathing open. Those are the puffers that you might be familiar with. But some recent research put out by the National Institutes of Health conducted a significant randomized trial comparing those recommendations put forward by the National Institute of Health in the United States and the UK and compared that to just other treatment methods, including stress mitigation techniques, uh, in addition to other evidence-based asthma care. So basically, they were trying to, in a randomized control trial way, which they spent a lot of money on, $2.2 million, trying to see if the methods that they're actually telling people to follow are any good or if there's something better out there. And this big study uh, concluded and was presented with its findings in May 26 of the 2017 annual meeting of pediatric academic societies. The important first finding is that for the kids who were following the guidelines and the kids who were following evidence-based techniques but not exactly the guidelines, both had actually good outcomes, especially when they followed uh, some of these recommendations that actually helped improve the children's health, even for kids with high-risk asthma. To do all of this, they recruited uh, pairs of parents and African-American children aged 4 to 12 who had asthma. And 60% of these kids were male, and their mean age was about 6.6 years old. And over about the 217 parent-child pairs, Half of them were randomized to receive standard care and other half to receive guideline-based care. And their parents participated in individual stress reduction sessions where they were coached in deep breathing, mindfulness, and self-care. These supervisory and supportive sessions were given to the parents so the parents could help look after their kids in a better way, as well as the guidelines. So 
So whilst the parents felt a lot better, more calm, and more confident in the way they responded to their children's asthma, there wasn't actually a noticeable difference between just following the guidelines and trying out these other stress reduction techniques. The, the study shows that whilst, whilst the patient-centered guidelines that making sure that the kid themselves has the right treatment or the preventative mechanisms are the most important thing we can do to keep kids with asthma safe and healthy, the, the stress reduction strategies, whilst having some beneficial things for the parent's mind state and overall stress reduction, didn't actually lead to tangible improvements in health outcomes. Now, the psychosociological stress mitigation techniques are important, but they're not critical in terms of actually helping the kids stay healthy. They're a good value add, but they're not essential. And this is important because a lot of these different techniques are out there in the medium and parents try to hear of and try because they want to look after their kids in the best way they can. So what this study shows is that the best thing they can do to look after their kids who have asthma is to follow these guidelines and recommendations because that's really the best evidence that we've got. So as we talked about, asthma inhalers are very, very good, but some people are worried about the potential long-term exposure of steroids and other drugs that are used in these inhalers, particularly in the exposure to young kids, which makes the search for an alternative therapeutic method for treating asthma quite a significant challenge for scientists. And in particular, it's a great area of research trying to find another therapeutic agent that can reduce the side effects that we see in asthma uh, without having to use the same mechanisms that we know about before. And a research group led from the Milwaukee Institute for Drug Discovery, the MIDD, went about working through a National Institute of Health grant with researchers from Columbia University and the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee to develop a new drug compound that adapts a drug previously used to calm anxiety and apply it in a novel way to the actual targeting the areas inside the lungs. The University of Milwaukee's James Cook is a pharmacological researcher and he's got a vast array of different chemicals and drugs that he's developed that particularly target a certain neurotransmitter in the brain which is used for things like sedatives, particularly also in anti-seizure related drugs. And they they target a specific neurotransmitter in the brain called gamma-aminobutyric acid, or GABA. And they sort of target that, uh, either enhancing it or changing the way it functions, uh, to induce a calming effect, which is like the side effects of sedation, without the dependence on drugs like Valium and Xanax, which is a great idea for anti-seizure medication and other sedatives. Now, the problem is that this acts in the GABA receptors in the brain. The problem, If you wanted to have the same type of treatment with an asthma puffer you don't want to really be having that sedative effect on the brain when you're just trying to calm down the lungs and that's where the researchers from columbia university of medical center came in so they look they actually discovered that there are gaba receptors inside the lungs which is fantastic because now the researchers said well could we just use the same sedative that we've developed to target this neurotransmitter and go after it only in the lungs and avoid it spreading through the blood-brain barrier 
basically from the blood getting into the bloodstream and then from the bloodstream into our brain, which could be dangerous, and to prevent it, just isolating it in the lungs themselves. So this collaboration of researchers is about two two years into a four-year research program, and what they've managed to show is that yes, it is possible to isolate this particular sedative type to target only the receptors inside the lungs which means that you can use its sedative effects to keep the inflamed lungs which is what happens when you have an asthma attack for example calm and stable in a different manner to what we're doing currently with the standard steroid based inhalers drug research and development takes a long time dozens of trials a lot of safety studies and overall approval by the therapeutic goods administration and it takes about 10 to 15 years from trial through to actual development of a product that you can buy on the shelf. But this is a good demonstration of how a novel technique can actually help improve the quality of life for people with asthma by providing a different type of treatment pathway, perhaps one in a pill form or something else that doesn't rely on aerosolized steroids as we do currently. So there's good news on the horizon for the sufferers of asthma that we are experimenting and trying to find new ways to help treat asthma. This is some great research being done out of conjunction with the University of Milwaukee, Columbia University, and the Milwaukee Institute for Drug Discovery. Now, we've been talking a lot about lungs, but another part of our body has an integral part in our breathing and is incredibly complex and fascinating. And that is, of course, our olfactory system, centered, of course, in our nose. And the olfactory system has a really, really important job. It processes all these signals coming in and turns them into what we in our brains register as smells. We know that, according to some studies, about a quarter of people over the age of 50 have some loss in sense of smell. And the challenge is we don't really know why and what treatments we can have. Obviously, losing a sense of smell is quite sad. We call this uh, disease or sickness anosmia, the loss of sense of smell. Sometimes you can actually get it due to a traumatic injury, but there's also not a lot you can do about it. In particular, for age-related anosmia, we're trying to figure out what could be the root cause of this. And researchers from the University of California, Berkeley, have been studying, for a different reason, the properties of the nose. And what they've been focused on is the stem cells present in our nose, sequencing the RNA of the cells that live inside our olfactory system in our nose, and try to get an understanding of how they function, what they function, and how they even work. This recent work has been just published in the journal Cell Stem Cell. Now, stem cells, just as a quick recap, has two major jobs. The first is to replace or recreate mature cells that are lost over time, either through normal aging or after injury. Basically, a stem cell's job is to regrow them for us and give you back that cell again. And you'll heard a lot of research with the exciting things with the stem cells where they basically grow an entire organ or a type of organ out of just some basic cells to begin with. And that's what our bodies do when we are born, for example. And we're getting closer to understanding how the mature sensor neurons are actually generated. So how do we make new olfactory stem cells, the things that process all these signals of smells and turn them into something our brain can understand? <laughs> 
And this is interesting because this type of approach can be used for regenerative medicine to try and restore the stem cells in our olfactory system and give us back actual functioning senses of smell. So senior researcher John Nagai, who is the Coates Family Professor of Neuroscience at University of Berkeley, have been sort of trying to figure out what we can do and looking at these stem cells in particular. Now, olfactory stem cells are actually quite fascinating because unlike most of the other stem cells that lurk deep in, say, in our spine or somewhere else or deep in an organ, these are actually on the body's outer layer. They're part of the epithelium, as we call it. But they're also part of the central nervous system. They're hardwired all the way back to your brain. So they incorporate neurons that correct directly with the smell cell centers in your brain. So not only are they externally exposed, because they have to, to process the smell, they're also deep wired in. So his re- John Nugai's research group has been looking at not just the olfactory stem cells themselves, but also the supporting sense neurons that hold up these, the cystencular cells that support the neuron connections back into our brain. And by developing a new technique for sequencing RNA in a single cell, they've actually been able to trace these stem cells in densely packed tissue before they become specialized. So before they pick up a specific job or functional role, they track them back to that root identification source. And they do this using the mRNA present in the cell. And that's one of the great things about stem cells that we know is that they start off as a sort of generic thing and they turn into the really specific job. So once they picked it up once or twice, they needed to figure out just how widespread it was to hopefully identify these root cause cells. And so they turned to some researchers with specialities in statistical analysis, including Sandra Dudois and Elizabeth Purdom, and even a professor in electrical engineering and computer science near Yosef, to, to get a way to experimentally gather data and identify similar cells with the same type of RNA profile and hopefully then identify these fancy olfactory stem cells before they actually become super specialized and that's really important for help understanding how they regenerate and function and that's really cool because using these statistical techniques they're able to predict and identify the paths that these cells take as they go from generic form into either supportive neurons or actually olfactory stem cells and why they do that they actually identified a singling pathway known as the WNT that actually tells, ah, oh, okay, you, generic stem cell, you should become an olfactory stem cell, and you, you should become a supportive sensory neuron. And that's, that's amazing work. So now we have more of a window into what controls and helps decide how our olfactory system regenerates itself. And with that, we might be able to actually tell other stem cells how to regenerate themselves into olfactory stem cells, because we now know the trigger that does this. And that is super good news for anyone who is potentially suffering from a loss of smell, which could all be all of us as age and time wears on. So this is some great work being done at the University of California, Berkeley, about nasal and olfactory stem cells, and how, with some more understanding of how these stem cells actually turn on and get triggered to become either supportive neurons or olfactory stem cells, we can actually lead to a better treatment for those suffering from anosmia. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. New treatments for asthma and the best way to follow guidelines to help keep people with asthma safe and healthy, as well as ways to regenerate our sense of smell using stem cells. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.